Welcome to the most listened to golf in the world, the Fairways of Life show, on air, online, and around the world. With the most candid interviews, unforgettable stories, taking you beyond the ropes. Here's your host, New York Times best-selling author and Golf Channel's Matt Adams. It is an absolute delight to welcome you into the Fairways of Life show today from wherever you are watching us. We have a big show planned for you. One of my favorite people in the world of golf will be joining us in just a moment. Tom Lehman's path to the top tier of golf in the world was not a common one. He wasn't the best golfer in the world at age 12. He didn't win the U.S. Amateur. He didn't win on the PGA Tour in his first season. But here we find Tom at 63, the only golfer in history to have been named Player of the Year on the Corn Ferry Tour, the PGA Tour champions, and the PGA Tour. While his path was unique, his accomplishments are stuff of legend. Early on in his career, he would be found winning the Minnesota State Open. Then he would win on the Japan Golf Tour. He lit it up on the Ben Hogan Tour, now called the Corn Ferry Tour. By the 1990s, he was on the PGA Tour winning and winning big. The 1996 Open Championship amongst them. When the 2010s rolled around, Tom decided it was time to start winning on the PGA Tour champions. And he did a lot. Today, Tom Lehman has 35 professional wins to his name, four on the Corn Ferry Tour, where he was player of the year in 1991, five on the PGA Tour, where he was player of the year in 1996, having won both the Open and the Tour Championship, and 12 PGA Tour Champions wins, where he was player of the year both in 2011 and 2012, and where he has an additional three senior majors. Between the tours, Thomas played, get this, in 780 events and collected 200 top 10s. Tom Lehman was a member of three President's Cup teams, three United States Ryder Cup teams, as well as captaining the U.S. Ryder Cup team in 2006. He was also honored with the Payne Stewart Award in 2010 and is an accomplished golf course architect. It may not be the common path, but clearly this man is very far from common indeed. It is always a pleasure to welcome a person of his stature and his dignity to the show. Uh, welcome to Tom Lehman. How are you, my friend? Oh, you're so, you're way too kind. I'm doing great, but you're way too kind. Thank you. Uh, how is life for Tom Lehman right now? How is the family doing? Well, the family's doing very well. Uh, you know, we spend our, our, we live in Arizona and we, you know, you run away from the heat in the, in the summertime and spend the, the summers in Minnesota where I grew up. So I would say life is very, very good. You're right uh, on Darling Drive on Lake Darling with a couple of jet skis and a boat and a small little cabin and a golf course nearby. Uh, we're all great. The two boys are golfing away. My two daughters are raising kids and working. And uh, my wife is the same as always, which is exceptional. So uh, things are good. How many grandkids do you have then? Well, I have one with one on the way, one more on the way. So in November, Congrats. that so, is yeah, awesome. So we're, we're, the numbers are growing. What was it like when you guys became grandparents for the first time, Tom Lehman? What did that feel like? Uh, oh my gosh! Well, you know, it's um, <clears throat> we had just become empty nesters, or nearly empty nesters, and so this uh, newly arrived grandchild kind of put that empty nesting a little bit uh, aside. I mean, we. <laughs> 
You know, I just I love the the uh, the spontaneity you can have with a grandchild, and um, you know, she's she spends a night here probably twice a week with my wife and I, and you know, we. You can have so much fun, but yet, you know, you don't have the responsibility of the discipline and all that kind of thing. You leave that to mom and dad. And so it's simply just a fun fest, uh, which to me was what the greatest thing. You know, when, when you have a little granddaughter who sees you and she just runs to you and jumps into your arms and uh, makes you feel like a million bucks, there's, there's, there's nothing like it. That is awesome. Absolutely awesome. When you mentioned that you spend the, the summers back in Minnesota where you're from, uh, and, and given the caliber of golfer that you are, it's always interesting to me how few people realize that Minnesota forever had the highest per capita golfers for the population. There's just something that strikes me about Minnesota and the land of 10,000 lakes that's about outdoor activities and, and a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, well, definitely an outdoor society. I mean, you, uh, you may think that the wintertime would keep people down, but it really, really doesn't. The, um, you know, having you know, grown up there and lived there until I was in my mid-20s, uh, you know, just even if it was cold, you still got out and did something, skated or uh, skied, cross-country skied. I mean, if there was hunting still at uh, that time of the year, you did that. Uh, and then, you know, golf was just that, what you did in, in the warm months. Um, so, yeah, very much a, a society that doesn't, you can't lock them down, you can't lock them in. Uh, they, they get out and they go and they do things and, uh, you know, really a great place to grow up. So how was it, Tom, that golf hooked you with with all of these options and all these sports that you were involved in and could play in, in year round yet you excelled at this game of golf what was that path yeah. well i was really fortunate the town that i grew up in alexandria minnesota at the time only had maybe six or seven thousand people uh and the the, the golf course in town was a really good little course um hosted a, a very big amateur golf tournament every summer um and so therefore it was a bit of a a draw I would say it was definitely a bit of a draw to get people out there to watch. And so I would caddy. And so I started caddying when I was pretty young. And my dad was a golfer. And, and living in a small town, the, the course was accessible. I think that's really the biggest issue is that the course is accessible. So all of us kids who would caddy and who would go watch this golf tournament and, you know, see the, these big stars, at least you thought they were stars, you know, play. And you're like, that's really cool. We kind of want to be like that. And uh, so we began to play, and the, and, the, and the course gave us access to play, and, and so we played every day. Uh, that was probably the the biggest thing is that the you know really two things that peers of mine uh, you know played you know played golf, and, and the mm -hmm. course made it possible. So uh, you know what what better thing being with your buddies than playing golf all day? I'm curious if it had not been in the game of golf, if it was another sport, what would be the sport in your dreams that you would have excelled at and become uh, a professional? Well, you know, I wasn't good enough to do that, but if, if I could dream a big dream, you know, I would, football probably is my favorite sport other than golf, for sure. I love love the game. I love the cerebral part of uh, the quarterback position. Uh, I did play quarterback in high school. Um, and so that's always attracted me. I love, you know, I can't, like I was just saying last night to my son-in-law, you know, I have a, it's just a matter of weeks now until football season starts again. I can't wait. Um, and I do, I can't wait. I just love that game. I think it's, uh, even though it's a dangerous game and, my boys both played, and one of them, you know, got hurt pretty bad, blew out his knee and high ankle sprain, a couple of big, uh, you know, bad injuries. Um, you know, it still is a great game, and, uh, and I love that. So if I could wave the magic wand, you know, I would be the, you know, I would be some quarterback somewhere having a Hall of Fame career and, and enjoying all that goes with it. But as it were, that, that golf became your game and passion of a lifetime, 
I'm curious about your golf swing uh, because the, yeah. the way that you generated power from the ground, the way you squatted down into it, you know, it reminded me somewhat of watching the videos of, of Sam Snead. Uh, how did your golf swing evolve? Did you get much help along the way? Well, I, you know, was very lucky that my dad was really big in just the simple fundamentals. Uh, so, you know, he was, uh, you know, the grip, uh, the ball, the grip and ball position really are the two things, the grip and ball position. So he really wanted me to focus on, you know, having a decent grip and uh, the right ball position. And, and uh, you know, because ball position, you know, gets the rest of your body in the right position as well. Uh, you know, my grip maybe is a little bit unique, you know, in some ways, you know, but it really the, uh, the became just a, a matter of learning to play the game, you know, just developing a game and, and hitting the ball, developing a shot. And uh, it's really funny, my youngest son, Sean, who's a freshman at Cal Poly playing golf, he said, he's asking, Have you, did you always draw the ball? I go, yeah, I always drew it. You know, so how much did you draw it? Well, you know, if I was playing really well, I probably drew it 20 to 25 yards. If I was playing poorly, I drew it more. Uh, and he goes, well, if you, got, if you got nervous, what did you do? Well, if I got nervous, I just aimed further right and hooked it even more. And he goes, what about if you're swinging really lousy? Then I aimed even further right and hooked it even more. <laughs> and it just, that's, that's just the way I grew up. Um, everything I did, I hooked. I hooked. And so, I, it, you know, just out of uh, not knowing it or better probably and being a bit, you know, on, on the stubborn side, um, I just kept on hitting that shot over and over and over and over and over to the point where, you know, my swing um, kind of got into a um, – well, it just, it just got into a, a position where my lower body and my upper body were in sync on nearly every shot. You know, and it may have looked a bit funny, but I used my legs to control my swing. My, you know, the, my, my feet, knees, hips were, were what generated the power. My butt, um, you know, I dropped, the, you know, I aimed left and then swung from inside to out. So I was always inside the ball with a shut face. And, and uh, you know, that can only really do one thing, and that's promote a little push draw. Yeah, or at the time, as a kid, you know, a big push hook. Can, can you think of a time, I'm curious, where you flat out just aimed right at the hazard, whatever it was, water, ocean, <laughs> out of bounds, and, and everyone's watching your ball go through this and then come right back into safety? Uh, well, I'm sure I have done that. I'm sure I have done that. <laughs> I'm sure as a kid, especially, you know, where you're a little bit more, um, I wouldn't say fearless, but just you're, you're not quite so... Um, maybe savvy about the, the possibility of hitting it straight. You know, I, I, I always tell people like, don't aim or a straight shot can hurt you. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, but when you hook it as much as I did, you know, so, but I, but I never hooked it. I, I always aimed like down the right side of the fairway or in the right edge of the right rough. You know, I never aimed way out of bounds and hit a big hook, you know? So if I was, okay. if I was, if I was playing, if I was, you know, nervous and there was OB right, you know, I actually could hit a fade, and, and you know, I would just aim way left, and I try to hit a fade, and all I did was hit a, a push, and it would go straight. So in some fashion or another, I would hit a straight push. So I just aimed way, way left, and, and aimed away from the OB. And if there was, you know, it, and so only if I had to hook one around a tree, and the only way to do it was to take it over a lake and hook it back in. You know, that's about the only time I would do it. But um, you know, I, I lived in fear of reloading. I hated the idea of having to reload from the tee, so I avoided that at all costs. You know, it, it's interesting to me that with your Minnesota roots, you go to college in Minnesota and you study business and you study accounting. Tom, that's such an incredibly practical mindset that that's that to me clearly is not a guy that just went to school to say, well, I'm here because I get to play golf and I hope it's going to take me to the next level. 
through those years, those developmental years in your life, what was your thinking and, and why did you study what was what was a fairly uh, yeah. difficult discipline? Well, you know what, I, I actually was uh, enrolled to go to a little school called St. John's, uh, Division Three school. I was going to go there and play football and play golf and uh, ended up playing with uh, the captain of the U of M golf team. University of Minnesota golf team in this tournament in my hometown in, in the second week of August. And, you know, school was starting literally in three weeks. Um, and I played with him for two days in the qualifying. I played my normal game. You know, I didn't play great. I didn't play poorly. I just played normal my, my golf and shot like 68, 68. And I think I won the medalist of, uh, in the qualifying. And about a day or two later, I got a phone call from the coach at the university saying, hey, this is uh, Rick Ermentrout, coach of the Gophers. Uh, how would you like to come play? golf for the Gophers. I said, I got a phone call from Miles Prestimone and uh, he thinks you're awfully darn good. Um, why don't you come on down here and play golf for us? And I said, I'm sold. Sure, I'll do it. And so I walked on the first year at Minnesota and I wanted to be uh, an architect. So, you know, I was really always been in, in, in just really uh, taken by architecture of any kind, whether it be, you know, buildings or airplanes or you know, whatever it might be. And so I wanted to, to go into architecture or design of some kind. And so uh, when I got down to the university to kind of get all the stuff taken care of um, with my mom and my dad, we went to the School of Architecture and the, the Dean of Admissions says, well, you didn't do any, anything else while you're here. I said, yes, I'm gonna be on the golf team. I'm gonna play golf. He goes, well, then you can't, uh, you can't enter the School of Architecture. You're not gonna have time to do both. And he literally wouldn't let me enroll in the School of Architecture. Uh, so I went from there to well, what's next, and so business seemed to be uh, uh, something that I could, you know, take. And you know, once I got that degree, uh, I could probably move forward to, into some kind of a graduate degree, law school, or, or or getting an MBA or something that could, you know, kind of get you, you know, further down the road academically and into a better position. Uh, so that was kind of the reason for all that. Is uh, you know, I thought the business degree could could open some doors to to post you know, to, to graduate schools or some other kind of uh, disciplines. And, uh, but as luck would have it, you know, my golf game started to progress pretty quickly and I started winning a lot of tournaments and, you know, so I quickly changed directions. That direction that Tom Lehman is referring to is the direct direction that we are gonna go as we continue here on the Fairways of Life show, talking to a legend that is a major champion in Tom Lehman. More coming up in the Fairways of Life show right after these words. In Ireland, golf is more than just a game. Come and experience our world-famous Lynx courses and our world-famous Parkland courses, all set alongside world-famous scenery and visit our world-famous historic sites. And while you're here, enjoy our world-famous hospitality. Press the green button and start your journey at ireland.com slash golf. You're a golf fan. I am giving all this equipment away. I'm Matt Adams, host of the Fairways of Life show. We're the only live daily golf show on YouTube. We're also available on demand. You can just click and subscribe right here. And we give away product to our subscribers. I literally give it to you. What other show does that? There is no other show that's live every day on YouTube. All you have to do is click and subscribe. And you got a chance at winning some of this. Want to get ball fit like the pros? Now it's easy. Just grab your phone and a friend and have them record a video of you hitting a drive. 
Hello, Senior Tour. I absolutely smoked that. <laughs> anyway, submit your video to BridgestoneGolf.com. You'll receive an email showing your stats and the best tour B for your game. So get fit and get better. Sweet. You got me on a good day. Are you ready for golf's biggest season ever? Because we are. Our certified fitters are waiting to fit you for free with the latest clubs from Callaway, TaylorMade, Cobra, Titleist, and more. Plus, shop the latest gear and apparel from all your favorite brands. Experience golf's biggest selection under one roof. Don't just shop this season. Shop with the pros at the PGA Tour Superstore. Are you an E or a C? Both have Ridgeback. These are loaded with tech. Which one are you gaming? Definitely E for me. It's just so forgiving. I'm definitely an E. C is for checkup. What else? C is for kill it. C is me. Low spinning bombs. So, are you an E or a C? Hmm. I don't know. Hey, wait a minute. Pound for pound, nothing comes close. This is the whiz. It tracks your swing in real time. Got it. One zero one. Gives you feedback in real time so you feel where you are in your golf swing. Transition plus 4.2 inches. Length of backswing 50.3 inches. The whiz have really helped me to keep that consistent swing. Instead of guessing, I get the direct feedback. Transition on plane. That's the mic drop. Welcome back to the Fairways of Life show. Absolute delight to have your company. So, too, to have the company of Tom Lehman, a major champion, a multiple-time winner on the PGA Tour, on the PGA Tour champions, pretty much every tour that he has ever played on. And, Tom, in the last segment, you were kind of giving us your pathway into the game of golf, right up to the point where you entered college and were taking business classes, wanted to be an architect, but ended up taking business classes and suddenly kind of realizing along the way as you progress with the game that you were good enough to do something else. Uh, I'm curious, though, when did you decide and what was that conversation like with your parents when you said, you know what, I think I should give this game as a professional, as a touring professional, a go? Well, I think my parents for sure were supportive of that. I think they you know, thought it was pretty cool that uh, their, their son could potentially be uh, on the PGA Tour. That was the goal. But really, it happened, you know, starting my sophomore year. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I think it's, it's really interesting. And you, know, you mentioned earlier about, uh, you know, growing up in Minnesota, what it was like. And, and, uh, and I, I'm really firmly convinced, and, and to this day I'm firmly, firmly convinced, that, that having that break away from the game, um, you know, all those early years, was uh, actually worked way to my benefit. Um, and I think it works to the benefit of everybody even today. I, I you know, I think that you need to have a certain time of the year where you, you work hard for a certain amount of time and you, you grind and then you can put the clubs away and you can kind of relax a bit and, and, and rebalance and re-energize, you know, and, and then pick them up again and, and you're all excited and enthusiastic about playing. And so Minnesota forced you to have that big gap in the wintertime. Now, when I got to college, you know, that gap got smaller because we would travel some and play in the South during the winter, you know, but my sophomores, but I always found that that uh, you know, I, I would finish up in the fall you know, with with golf and, and whatever that might be, and you know maybe as a 15 year old, you know I was okay averaging you know 70 74, 
Okay, and then I pick up the clubs uh, in the spring, having not touched them, and after a couple of weeks, you know, I'm averaging 72. You know, and, and I've improved two shots, you know, over the course of the winter without ever having touched a club. Interesting. And then, the, you know, then the next year, you know, is 71. And then, you know, so you, you kind of see the progression. But I always found that this time away was supremely beneficial because it, it, it was always so excited to start playing again and had such a great attitude about it. And so in college, still with that gap, because I was going to the university um, and being in the north, um, you know, every, every year, just I, I was just better. You know, I was just better in the spring than I was in the fall. And uh, so starting my sophomore year, we went down and we played a tournament in Texas. Uh, it was down in Padre Allen, Texas, in maybe February or March. You know, I hadn't played since October or November. And I went down playing against all these southern schools, and I won the tournament. Um, and, uh, you know, played really, really great golf, and, and I beat everybody. And, and uh, that was kind of what led to this uh, – this season of my sophomore year where I just, you know, I, I won a bunch of tournaments. I, uh, my confidence grew and, and before you know it, uh, you know, I was the best player in my region. You know, in, you know, I think about Minnesota, the Dakotas, Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, Missouri, Colorado, this whole upper Midwest area. I was probably the best college golfer, arguably, in that whole area. And, and everybody who looked at me kind of knew I was one of the best. And and there's something to be said for when you think you're the best and other folks think you're the best. All you got to do is look at Tiger Woods to understand what that does for you. And uh, but that it, it builds your confidence to the to the point where you think, well, I can take this next step. You know, I think you know this professional golf thing is something that I can handle. And I would look around me and see who was the best and see what they did and say, well, I can do that. You know, they're not doing anything that I can't do. In fact, I think I do some things way better than they do. I, you know, when I first got into the, the big time amateur golf and I'd play with all the, you know, the big names of amateur golf back at the time, you know, the, my, my contemporaries, I just, I thought, well, what can I, these guys are great, but I'm, you know, I hit the ball more consistently. I hit the ball further. You know, I'm, I'm never been as good a chipper and putter. I mean, there's, there's nothing that they're doing that I can't do. In fact, I think I can do it more consistently. And, and, and that kind of confidence, I mean, I tell you, that kind of confidence, it just leads to good things. And I went off. Went through college and then uh, turned pro, and I breezed right through the tour school. I got my card, you know, at age 22, um, and uh, you know, quickly ran into that next level of play. Um, you know, when you come out to the course and you're used to seeing, you know, the good scores being 68s and 69s and 70s, and suddenly there's, you know, Tom Watson minus nine and Lanny Watkins minus eight, and you know, Whoa. all the great players. You know, I mean, so many low scores, and I'm thinking, holy smokes, I am way, way, way over my head. And to that point, was your philosophy, you know, if I've bitten off more than I can chew here, I'm just going to chew like crazy? Well, you know what, the, um, it's really interesting. The, um, so I kind of, oh, I've always had the philosophy of just kind of, kind of try to put blinders on and just play your game. Uh, and if you just play your game, you know, and, and you think you're, and you, and you know that you're good enough, um, you know, you, you'll be fine. You know, but I think at the time, you know, like I knew I was good enough to compete in college and in the amateur circus, but, but I, I didn't think I was good enough to compete at that level. And I, and it was hard for me to, to kind of just, you know, keep those blinders on and pay attention just to myself. And, and uh, I remember my very first year as a pro, you know, I think I played in like 20, I don't know, 25 or seven tournaments. And I think I might've made maybe, you know, 10 cuts or nine cuts or 11, I don't even, not that many, but I missed a whole bunch of cuts by a shot, you know, and, and uh, I remember telling my friend David Ogren, like, you know, I played all these tournaments, I think I missed 13 cuts by a shot this year, and 
you know, and kind of saying, you know, wham, 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 you know, poor me, poor me, I'm unlucky or whatever. And, and he made a comment that he's always stuck with. He said, hey, there's a reason. There's a reason why you miss cuts by a shot. And that's all he said. <laughs> so, so I started thinking about that. Like, okay, what's the reason? Okay, and the reason is, is that I don't really have the belief in myself and in my game that I need to be successful out here. And, and that's, that's, that's constantly putting me in this really defensive mode. It's, it's constantly kind of getting me focused on always being around the cut. It's not thinking I could win, just trying to make a check. Um, you know, that kind of survival mode, that, that's, that's where I live because of that lack of belief and lack of confidence at that level. And so, so that's the reason why it took me all those years to uh, drive my way through the mini tours to get back to the tour because it was a process of learning to believe. And, uh, and at, at one point I, I did. It's fascinating, Tom Lehman. I mean, you won on the Japan Golf Tour. You won uh, on the European Tour. You've won literally all over the world. And it says something about you, not only that you had the recognition of saying, I need to work on my conviction against the best, but the fact that yeah. you kept grinding away and you were willing to literally travel the world with your game to get to the point that eventually you got to. Yeah, yeah, with my game and with my wife. You know, I, I, you have to, you can't leave that part out. The, um, the part of about being happy in life and fulfilled and, and, you know, with the person that you want to be with and, and enjoying every second of it, you know, is, is immeasurably incredible. I mean, it's, it's uh, profoundly important. Uh, and so, you know, so I've always had a kind of a really good balance uh, because of that. My wife and I both are Christian people. We, we, we have a faith in God, but we, you know, believe in the, the, the in marriage and in family and in, in friends. And, and so that and so having her with me all the way like that really kind of gave me that kind of foundational balance that I needed to really go out and be free and pursue and, 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 and grind. And and uh, and so we did that. And, and uh, it's just a. Uh, you know, you, you kind of get to places and, and there's, there's moments, you know, there's moments where there's, it's either sink or swim time. And I think we've talked before about this, you know, being in South Africa, being in, in Taiwan, being in Korea, Japan, anywhere where it's like you have no money and you have to, you just have to make a check. You have to make the cut. You have to, and you start to learn, you know, when you, when your back's to the wall and you hit the shot or hit the putt that you need to hit at the right time to, you start thinking, well, hey, you know what, I am, I am you know, capable. And, and, and at that moment where you really just completely 100% check into that and say, yep, I am good enough. I believe in my game. I'm, I'm good enough to be uh, one of the best. Um, that's that's when good things really happen. And, and that's exactly what's happened, you know, with my golf life. And, and uh, uh, you know, the, the minute that, that belief and, you know, became ingrained in who I was, uh, the, the, the game of golf became incredibly easy. People always say to me, the tour is so tough. I say, no, you're, you're wrong. It's only tough if you don't believe in yourself. You know, once you believe in yourself, the, the, the tour is easy. It's super easy. You know, the, the, the belief, that when you don't believe in yourself and, and, you know, have the confidence in your in your game that you need to have, the tour is very, very difficult. But at the point where you begin knowing, you know, who you are as a player, what you're capable of, knowing that you're, you're plenty good enough and really believing in yourself, trusting in your swing, trusting in then the tour becomes easy. And, and so over the years, you know, if that's, people say, oh, the tour is so hard, it's such a hard place. And, and I say, yes, it is. And I experienced that in my early years, the tour is very difficult, um, you know, but, but once you get to that point where you have a, a complete belief in your game, then the tour becomes easy. 
you know, I thought all those years from 92 through the end of my career, I mean, I mean the PGA Tour was, the, it was so easy. It was, um, um, and I say easy in the fact that I had such high expectations. My game was, 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 was at a very high level and I expected every week to be a good week and every week, you know, if it wasn't a good week, it was usually a decent week. You know, it was very few bad weeks. Yeah. Um, and it just, 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 it was, it was easy. Just, it was like, you know, picking fruit off a tree. It was, uh, it was just sitting there for the taking. And it, it, you could really see uh, the, 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 those who truly believed in their game, you know, versus those who didn't. And, and, the, and the, the best combination of all is somebody who had true belief in their game with, with a game you could, you had every reason to trust, you know. So, uh, you know, you just, I was just really fortunate, you know, that I had a swing that repeated, you know, and it was, it was, you know, so it became easy to, to trust that and easy to believe in that. And, and when I got nervous, you know, I didn't really worry um, you know, about hitting bad shots. I, I, you know, in fact, I, you know, the only times I would get, you know, really that nervous was, you know, on the greens, I, I'd get more nervous putting than I would hitting a shot from the tee or in the fairway. Um, you know, but the, uh, you know, just, I was just very fortunate that I had the kind of golf swing that it was so repeatable. And, uh, and it was, it was, it was, there was, I could still get off, you know, but it was, it was for the most part, pretty, uh, pretty simple. And, and, and it didn't break down very often. So we've spent a lot of time, folks, talking about how Tom Lehman has evolved into the player that he is now. Along the way, he ends up becoming the number one ranked golfer in the world. He ends up becoming a major champion. Not only did he have those wins on the PGA Tour, he was a runner-up 19 times. That also is a mark of excellence. When we come back with Tom Lehman, we're going to continue the conversation about the era in which he played because he played in an era when the greats of all time were concluding their competitive days and another was just starting his in the name of Tiger Woods. More of the Fairways of Life show after this. Boyne Golf provides the ultimate world-class golf destination with 10 championship caliber courses spanning three resorts. Centered in Michigan's northern lower peninsula, the courses are the products of some of the game's masters, including Robert Trent Jones Sr., Arthur Hills, and Donald Ross. From the all-inclusive vacation packages, elite instruction with the Boyne Golf Academy, tournaments, and so much more, Boyne Golf truly offers an unrivaled Michigan golf vacation experience. Just log on to boynegolf.com. I guess, hello world, huh? <laughs> and with one subtle hello, Tiger began an amazing and unthinkable career. I've done it for 20 years now with, with Bridgestone. It allows me to play an aggressive style around the greens, and it's allowed me to win a lot of tournaments. Bridgestone Golf, proud to be part of your journey. You're a golf fan. I am giving all this equipment away. I'm Matt Adams, host of the Fairways of Life show. We're the only live daily golf show on YouTube. We're also available on demand. You can just click and subscribe right here, and we give away product to our subscribers. I literally give it to you. What other show does that? There is no other show that's live every day on YouTube. All you have to do is click and subscribe, and you got a chance at winning some of this. Are you ready for golf's biggest season ever because we are our certified fitters are waiting to fit you for free with the latest clubs from callaway taylor made cobra 
Titleist, and more. Plus, shop the latest gear and apparel from all your favorite brands. Experience golf's biggest selection under one roof. Don't just shop this season. Shop with the pros at the PGA Tour Superstore. Created without the constraints of time or money, PXG Golf Clubs are the most technologically advanced available today. And they are a perfect union of art, science, and engineering. And the PXG experience is unlike any you've had before. After you've been custom fit, your clubs will be built to exacting standards and your exact specs in the USA. So when you hear it, you know. PXG, nobody builds golf clubs the way we do, period. Nestled amongst the hills of the Hoosier National Forest resides a classic American destination, the French Lick Resort. Experience the ultimate in golf at the Pete Dye Course at French Lick, voted number one course in Indiana and Golf Week's best you can play for 10 years in a row. The Donald Ross Course at French Lick has been named Indiana's number two course in Golf Week's best you can play rankings every year since 2011. Come experience old world opulence amid modern comfort served with Midwestern charm. Visit FrenchLick.com. Welcome back to the Fairways of Life show. Absolute delight to have your company from wherever you are watching us. We are today enjoying the company of a legend in the world of golf and on the PGA Tour in Tom Lehman. And Tom, we've, we spent most of the show so far talking about how you became the great golfer that you were to become. I am curious about when you were on the tour in earnest, in, in, in those days where you described it as picking fruit, but you're still coming to the, to the practice grounds and to the driving reins and seeing greats from, you name it, uh, from Jack Nicholas to the Ray Floyds to, to the Tom Kites of the world, etc. What was the experience like from you, from a person that just loves the game of golf, to now be playing alongside of your heroes? Well, you know, it... it I, it was amazing to, to actually to kind of gain the respect of, of a lot of those guys that you mentioned. And, and to me, that was one of the things that was so gratifying with, with to be receiving phone calls or notes from Byron Nelson and, oh. you know, getting a, a letter from Arnold, you know, after something good happens and then seeing him in person and walking over and, and talking and sitting down and being so gracious. And, you know, you know, of course, then there's Jack and Jack was, see, Jack to me was so intimidating. Uh, I remember clearly the, um, I had never played with Jack and, uh, you know, always wanted to, you know, and because he, he was 20 years, he's 20 years older than me. And uh, so when I played in the Masters, my very first time, 19, I think it was 93, I think I was 34, he would have been 54. Uh, the first round I shot 67 and I was tied for the lead with uh, Corey Pavin, myself, uh, one other guy and Jack. Jack also shot 67. And, uh, and I remember thinking that, you know, okay, I, I really want to play with Jack. You know, Jack is one of my all-time heroes, you know, but this is Augusta. I'm not sure I want to play with Jack at Augusta for the first time. I'm not sure I can handle that, that pressure, you know, at this very moment, you know, so, so please, Lord, let me play with Corey Pavin. <laughs> and the pairings came <laughs> out and I was, I was paired with Corey, uh, which was, I was like, phew, thank you. And I kind of dodged that bullet, you know, but then I got to play with Jack the first two rounds at Memorial. Uh, a little bit later on that year, which uh, to me was, you know, one of the all-time great uh, two rounds. And, uh, and he made me feel really good because he hit three duck hooks in a row off the first three tees. And I thought, well, hey, if even the greatest of all time can hit a bad shot, you know, then I, I certainly can, can be allowed to hit a bad shot too. So um, anyway, so, you know, but, but being able to see, you know, what they did and how they, how they, um, 
conducted themselves. I mean, I, I think, you know, at that stage of the game with, with Jack and with Arnold, I mean, they just watching the way they conducted themselves and, you know, what they did and how disciplined they would, would be and how they lived their lives and how they separated golf and from their personal and, and how yeah. they could still, you know, be so gracious. And uh, I remember one time talking to Doc Giffen, who was Arnold's, uh, you know, longtime assistant. And, uh, you know, he told me about you know, Arnold's daily schedule. And then he made a comment back then that was amazing. He, uh, he said that, um, you know, Arnold spent at that time $250,000 a year signing and returning things that people wanted them to sign and autograph. And, uh, you know, it's like, so you think about that. I mean, here's, here's a guy who spends a quarter of a million dollars a year just returning mail from all of the people that, who adore him so much. And so if you wonder why do people adore Arnold Palmer, that gives you some real insight into why. I mean, he was so good and gracious with people and didn't want to let people down. And he returned every letter. He returned every every note. And, uh, you know, and so you learn from that. I mean, at least you hope you learn from that. And uh, so being being around, watching the way they finished their careers and the way they were so uh, supportive of the younger generation was, was very important. Uh, it was very beneficial. So, Tom, it is so cool to hear these stories about your interactions with all-time legends. But while you were still playing and at the pinnacle of your career, another player that was ultimately destined to become amongst the pantheon of the best of all time that have ever played the game was Tiger Woods. When did you first hear about this at that time, young golfer? And when did you see as an eyewitness that, yeah, this, this is going to be something different here? Well, of course, we all uh, knew of this kid who was winning, you know, three U.S. juniors in a row, then three U.S. amateurs in a row, and, you know, breaking all the records and winning all these tournaments, going to Stanford. And um, so everybody obviously was, was well aware of uh, the, this, the, the legend that was growing with this, with this guy. And he joined, I think I remember him joining the tour towards the end of 96. And, um, oh, hey there. Oh, I'm doing an interview. Oh, yes, okay. I'll be, done. I'll be done shortly. Yeah, thank you. Anyway, sorry about that. Um, so he, 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 well, he was low amateur at the British Open, the Open Championship in 96. And so I met him there, you know, at the victory at the stand when he got the medal for the low amateur. Uh, and then he joined the tour later that year and, and uh, you know, quickly won. I think he won in Milwaukee. Uh, so he qualified for the tour championship, uh, having played only, you know, seven or eight tournaments. And, uh, and so I still yet, though, I had not played with him. And uh, so I think uh, for me, the, the, the real eye opener came um, about a year later in 97. I was paired with Tiger uh, the first two rounds of the, of the U.S. Open. Um, I think that's right. And, uh, and, and just the, the immense media frenzy that surrounded him, that's the thing that, that, that blew my mind. There, there had to be two or three hundred reporters and photographers following our group. And it was uh, um, really unbelievable. There was two or three USG officials in charge of just trying to control the media. And so I got a chance then to experience this, this, this um, I would call it a circus, this circus that was surrounding this kid, you know, in these tournaments, because it was happening every week. And I mean, it was unbelievable. It's the, the, the number of fans, the number of, of uh, reporters, the number of uh, photographers, and all the moving, it just it was just it was organized chaos, and he and he just kind of walked through it with this unbelievably, um, you know, um, incredible ability to act like this is just normal, like this is yeah. just 
you know, it didn't phase him one bit. And, and his game, um, you know, I, I took the, the takeaway that I took was that his game, he drove the ball long, you know, drove it reasonably straight. Uh, best iron player I'd ever seen. Not in the, and to this day, still the best iron player I've ever seen. The best chipper and putter I've ever seen. And more importantly, the most incredible mind for the game. Uh, just just a, his ability to, to, to refocus when he hit a bad shot. I mean, he, he, I think he used his temper as a way to, 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 to exhale that, that bad shot he just hit and, and, and then go into the next one without any kind of uh, emotion attached to it. But I always say that he, um, the thing that always impressed me was he had this, um, uh, he had this, this, this calm that would come over him when he really kind of got in, you know, in that point where he was uh, in the saddle with a chance to win. And so I remember clearly, uh, this is a few years later, playing in, in a 36-hole final at the Buick Open in San Diego. Uh, I was paired with, with Tiger and myself, and I think the third was Luke Donald. I, I could be wrong about that. There was a, we got fogged out one day, so we played a 36-hole final on Sunday. And so it was the three of us for 36 holes. And for about 31 holes of that 36 holes, you know, Tiger spent the day slamming his club and smacking markers and, and you know you know how tiger can be just reacting to every shot <clears throat> and by this time i had been around enough to know that and i said to my caddy well they you know what this is the day that we're going to get them you know this is the day we're going to beat them um you know, just you know just i just i know i'm i've been on enough you know, if he keeps on reacting to every shot the way he's reacting we're, we're going to get him today and we and so we had five holes to play and i think it was uh I might have been one shot ahead or we were tied, one or the other, and uh, might have been tied. And uh, he gets on the tee after having 31 holes of reaction. I mean, this, you, you can envision it. I mean, think about everything you've ever seen in person on TV. Tiger Woods reacting to a shot. He got onto the 15th tee and it was like this. Like this emotionless, absolute, um, long staring, non-reacting, just like a different person. And he played the last five holes like he was just floating across the ground, never reacted to a shot, never got upset, you know, just just like a, a completely different calm. You know, and he got it made it great up and down two or three holes in a row, then he made a couple of birdies and he ended up winning the tournament. And, and um, you know, it was like this, this transformation was, was just, was unbelievable and, that, and that's what i would see with him when he got when he got into that state which he usually got into when it would mattered most um he was nearly impossible to beat and i think the thing that i said before about you know knowing you're the best player and everybody else knowing you're the best player well that's the way it was he, he knew he was the best player everybody else knew he was the best player and and there is there is there is no there is no uh replacing that in terms of what it does for your confidence and what it does for your expectations so um a truly remarkable talent. I mean, the, I, in my opinion, you know, for those ten or twelve years when he was winning everything, um, easily the best player in the history of the game. And, and that's without not. I maybe have to just back up and say that you know the, that Hogan was pretty special. Um, you know the things that he did. You know after especially after his injury, where he would play five tournaments in the year and win all five, or play seven and win four, and you know, all the majors. I mean that's 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 Tiger esque. You know, so that, that's, that's Tiger-esque, and Tiger, that was commonplace for him. When, when Tiger actually won six in a row, um, 
I thought, I told my wife, there, there is no way he, there, he's, anybody's going to stop him. He's going to break Byron Nelson's record of 11 in a row. It's just, you know, it's just, this is an unstoppable train running downhill. There's no way anybody's going to beat him. And I think he finished second in, in tournament number seven. Uh, so he, he didn't quite get there. But that but that's the level of, of of respect and admiration that we all had for Tiger back then, just thinking like this, uh, this uh, there, is, there is no top end for him. He just keeps on getting better. And there is, and there is no expectation that he can't you know, get above. I mean, the expectations never bother him. Expectations usually take people down. They usually put so much pressure upon players that they end up folding and, and, and not being able to, to, to follow through and achieve. But Tiger just seemingly got better all the time. And those expectations never faced him. In Ireland, golf is more than just a game. Come and experience our world-famous Lynx courses and our world-famous Parkland courses, all set alongside world-famous scenery. And visit our world-famous historic sites. And while you're here, enjoy our world-famous hospitality. Press the green button and start your journey at ireland.com golf. You're a golf fan. I am giving all this equipment away. I'm Matt Adams, host of the Fairways of Life show. We're the only live daily golf show on YouTube. We're also available on demand. You can just click and subscribe right here, and we give away product to our subscribers. I literally give it to you. What other show does that? There is no other show that's live every day on YouTube. All you have to do is click and subscribe, and you got a chance at winning some of this. Want to get ball fit like the pros? Now it's easy. Just grab your phone and a friend and have them record a video of you hitting a drive. Hello, senior tour. I absolutely smoked that. <laughs> anyway, submit your video to BridgestoneGolf.com. You'll receive an email showing your stats and the best tour B for your game. So get fit and get better. Sweet. <laughs> you got me on a good day. Are you ready for golf's biggest season ever because we are our certified fitters are waiting to fit you for free with the latest clubs from callaway taylormade cobra titleist and more plus shop the latest gear and apparel from all your favorite brands experience golf's biggest selection under one roof don't just shop this season shop with the pros at the pga tour superstore are you an E or a C? Both have Ridgeback. These are loaded with peg. Which one are you gaming? Definitely E for me. It's just so forgiving. I'm definitely an E. C is for Cheka. What else? C is for kill it. C is me. Low spinning bombs. So, are you an E or a C? Hmm. I don't know. Hey, wait a minute. Pound for pound, nothing comes close. This is the Wiz. It tracks your swing in real time. Got it. One, zero, one. Gives you feedback in real time so you feel where you are in your golf swing. Transition, plus 4.2 inches. Length of backswing, 50.3 inches. The Wiz really helped me to keep that consistent swing. Instead of guessing, I get the direct feedback. Transition on plane. That's a mic drop. We are today enjoying the company of a legend in the world of golf and on the PGA Tour in Tom Lehman. Talk about the greats from Hogan and, and Tiger and even Nicholas. 
it kind of reminds me, was it, I think it was J.C. Sneed that had the quote that said, uh, Jack knows he's going to beat you. You know Jack's going to beat you. And Jack knows mm-hmm. that you know Jack's going to beat you. I mean, it's just that <laughs> yeah. same kind of mentality. Uh, I do want to ask you about the, the Open in 1996. You mentioned it at Royal Litham in St. Anne's. Uh, I remember you standing tall through that event. I also remember the, the winds were, were crazy. What are, what are some of the memories that come back to you when you think back on that Open victory? Yeah. Um, you know, I, well, I think, uh, you know, I think Nicholas played pretty well in that open too, if I'm not mistaken. I think for two rounds, he was up there pretty high and, and just to kind of just, just backtrack just for a second. It's always been my opinion that if Tiger Woods and Jack Nicholas played in the same generation, uh, knowing the kind of champion that Jack is, Jack would have found a way to rise to the occasion as well. And it would have been really interesting to see what those two could have done head to head. You know, because I, I think, you know, Jack did, you know, Jack drove the ball better. Jack was an amazing, amazing iron player. You know, he's even equal to Tiger probably and, you know, and, and an incredible putter, you know, especially under pressure. And, you know, so I would love to have seen the way that Jack could have, uh, if he had to elevate his game because of a, a challenge from, from, from Tiger, you know, what he would have done, because I'm sure he would have done it. It would have been pretty rem- remarkable. It would have been like a Federer and Nadal Djokovic type thing in, 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 with players of those caliber in the same generation. But uh, beginning back to, to um, live in St. Anne's, um, you know, the, um, the thing that the story I remember most, the thing I remember most vividly was I had this policeman who was my escort that week. I was ranked number two in the world. So when I got there, I had this guy who was put in charge of me and making sure I got from point A to point B safely, you know, through the crowds and to the range and back, you know, the parking lot. And then he walked inside the ropes. And uh, anyway, so he, the week goes by, we get to the 72nd hole, and I'm going to win the tournament, and the, the crowds all run past us to the 18th green, and, and uh, you know, we have to fight our way through the crowd, and he's kind of got me by the shirt, and he's pulling me, you know, and he's kind of swatting people out of the way to kind of get through the crowd, and, you know, <laughs> you know it's been seven days together of, of, of you know, kind of, so we're feeling like we're a team almost, you know, you got me and my caddy and, and Kevin, and uh, so we break through the crowd, and he puts his arm around me, and he says, I hey, Tom, we've been through a lot of together but now you're on your own and he kind of pushes me up towards the green and uh, so when i think about winning that open that's what i think about i think about that and uh you know then faldo came walking by and you know nick is not one you know he's not a real um as a player you know he's very you know to himself and, and uh focused and he walked by and he just kind of as he walked by he kind of pat me on the shoulder and says well done you deserve it and uh you know that coming from him that was a it was it was really a I was a bit surprised uh, that he said that you deserve it. Um, that was really gracious and kind of him because playing in England, I'm sure you wanted to win, and he had a chance because he, you know, he missed a few putts. Um, but you know that I remember that clearly too. And then probably the third thing is, you know, my dad was there. Um, a couple of really close friends were there, and, and uh, you know, we uh, we watched the sun go down and we watched the sun come up. It was a pretty fun celebration. Oh, it's so cool, dude. It is so very, very cool. Uh, you are playing Tour Edge products right now in the PGA Tour Champions. You're one of their prominent ambassadors in a very impressive stable. Uh, why was it uh, Tour Edge for you? What what drew you to that brand, and, and how happy are you? Well, you know, I think they, they do a really good job of trying to develop, um, you know, continually great products. You know, so I... Uh, had always been looking for a, a good rescue and I never could find a good rescue or, you know, some kind of a 225 yard, you know, you know, you know, wooden club or, you know, not an iron. 
<clears throat> and um, and I, they kind of brought this bunch of them out to the range one day, and I grabbed them and started hitting. And then I finally found a rescue that I just didn't hook the crap out of. You know, everything I, every rescue I ever hit, I just overhooked, and I couldn't hit it. I couldn't play into the wind. Um, and, and this one, it was was beautiful. And so I grabbed it, and, and then found a three wood, and then they had a driving iron that I loved. And you know, so I just kind of found that they they kind of developed you know really good things that fit my game and were kind of really fitting some gaps in what I needed. I, I, I loved my driver. I wasn't about to change, but I didn't. I had the, the V-Steel three wood I always used. It was, you know, just, it wasn't working anymore. And <clears throat> it was getting old. And, and so it, it had a big gap between the, the four iron and, and the driver. And so they really filled those gaps beautifully. Very impressive stuff from Tom Lehman. The last question I would have for you, my friend, today is that uh, when we have an opportunity to speak to people such as yourself, people who are just naturally, because of who you are, Tom, inspirational, there is somewhere, someone watching this, that harbors in their heart some hope, something that they would like to accomplish. What words of advice do you have for that person to continue their grind, to carry on until they break through? Mm. Well, you know, it, uh, there's no, there's no, um, there's no shortcuts. Yeah, there are no shortcuts and, and there's no secrecy. So John Wooden had this thing he called the pyramid of success. And, uh, and so uh, at the very top of the pyramid is what we're all shooting for, which is competitive greatness. And, uh, you know, that's his definition was being at your best when you need your best. And, uh, and the foundation of the whole pyramid was love of what you're doing and hard work. And, uh, and, and without love and without hard work, there's no way to get to the top. <clears throat> so it was pretty simple in his book. You know, all these other things that kind of filled the gaps of this pyramid that, you know, you needed to, you know, apply to your life. And so, but so no matter what the occupation, no matter what the dream, um, you know, you, you want to be at that point where you're, you're great at it and uh, the best at it. Uh, there simply is no, um, replacement for for hard work you know but you cannot hard you can't work hard enough if you don't love it so it all starts with a passion and a love for what you're doing if you can find something that you truly love um, and you're truly passionate about it you're willing to work hard and you're willing to sacrifice and you're willing to do whatever it takes and so what i kind of find is that a lot of people do things for the for you know a reason other than their own true love and passion they're doing it because their dad wants them to or their their friends think they should or because you're told that you can make a lot of money if you do that and you know but it's really not your passion so my whole thing is is uh you know find your passion and then and then just work your butt off and persevere and never give up tom layman you are awesome thank you so much for the massive amount of time that you've given us today we continue to wish you and your growing family the very very best yeah yeah you're the best too i appreciate it it's always great to be on your show thank you very much tom layman yeah. that was uh, simply incredible. Uh, thank you to all of you for joining us today. It was, as ever, a pleasure to have your company as well. I hope you enjoyed the time that we just had to spend with Tom Lehman. He is one of the special people in the game of golf. And until we are together again, uh, goodbye for now.